0: Guwan everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past, what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. Uh, I just want to thank you again, Kofi, for coming on to the um, podcast. And uh, before we start, can I just have you just give a bit of history about yourself for the listeners? Well,
1: you know, my name is Kofi um, Barrimo. I hold a PhD in Caribbean and African um, cultural history from from the Howard University. I'm also the custodian for the um, Obinifo um, Busumfie, um, which is a traditional Akan um, um, shrine here in Jamaica. I've spent close to over um, 20 years traveling in and out of um, Ghana, West Africa, Um, researching the the traditional and cultural spirituality. Um, The the overall purpose of my research is to explain the ways that, you know, African um, culture, you know, let's put this way, the ways in which Afro-Jamaican culture um, connects to um, various cultural sites on the African net. Um, the, the, today's area of Ghana is one of the, the main areas where the bulk of enslaved Africans were, were taken from and brought to Jamaica. Of course, you know, throughout the West and Central African space, um, the peoples from those areas, they all are, are ancestors in a way of the Afro-Jamaican um, population. So you do have large bulks of of enslaved Africans that were taken from what is today's um, Nigeria. Um, So if you look like in in Jamaica, you you will notice that there are place names that sort of identifies that that connection. So for example, um, you will see the word Nago across Jamaica. Nago was a designation used during the enslaved period to identify um, captive Africans of of Yoruba um, of Yoruba extraction. You know, likewise you see words like bakram, bakra, you know, all of those, those words identify um, that there were a large presence of igbo speaking peoples from today's Nigeria that entered into Jamaica. Also you'll find, you know, like there's a community named Moko. You know, Moko was a terminology utilized during the the transatlantic slave trade to identify captives from the BBO ethnic group, which is also another ethnic group from the Nigeria area. So, so the, in essence, the, the goal of my research is to um, establish the, the, the connections between various West and Central African sites um, to, to African um, cultural spiritualities in Jamaica.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And going on that theme, so um, the origins of a lot of the Afro-Jamaicans under the Spanish rule and under the British rule. Can you just give us an? I go through with that because I know you just discuss that in the paper.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, the things that you know a lot of people don't bear in mind is that you know Jamaica um, had a Spanish colonial period. You know, um, from the the late. 15th century when Columbus um, first arrived into the island till the, the mid um, 17th century, there was a period of Spanish rule. No, the Spanish did not necessarily establish large sugarcane plantations. There, there were a few, but but the the, the type of economic systems the Spanish uh, mainly concentrated on were what they call ranches. So you'll find that a number of the captive Africans that were imported by by the Spaniards into Jamaica, you know, largely came from what is today, um, what is today referred to as the Senegambian region. Mm -hmm. So in that early period, you know, you tend to find amongst those captives, a number of of enslaved Africans referred to broadly as um, Mandingo, but Mandingo was, was a generic terminology um, utilized to refer to you know captive Africans from the Senegambian space. You know, this of course would include um you know the, the Fulanis, um, the, the Fula ethnic group, the Wolofs, and so forth. But Man- Mandingo is, is a generic terminology that was utilized for that. Within that period also, um you did find some some captive Africans that did come from what is today's um, the Gold Coast, because one of the things about the, the Spanish period, it sort of correlates with the expansion of European trade on the, the West and Central African continent. So, so you find that towards the end of the Spanish period, by that point, you know, um, captive Africans were 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 heading into Jamaica from various sites, as it was in other places in the Americas. In the British period, it was a more ex- expansive trade. So you'll find that, um, and, but there are certain groups that dominate. So even though exactly. you'll find, for example, in the British period, you get captives um, that are referred to broadly as Kromanti. And Kromanti is another geographic term that was mm-hmm. sort of used for, for captive Africans that were primarily of, of, of Akan extraction. You know, however, you, you have a number of captive Africans that came from um, today what is the, the calabari uh, region in today's ni- nigeria and the, the bite of Biafra also in from today's um, Benin in, the, in places like Guida and so forth. But what you what what you tend to find in terms of cultural retentions, one of the things you find is that um the the culture of the of Afro-Jamaican people tends to have a a a visible Akan and Igbo um, presence. You tend to find um, those two cultural traits, in my estimation, from my research, those two cultural traits tend to sort of dominate. And that does not mean that that the Kikongo did not contribute. Because I think as we, we had previously spoken, after you know the enslavement period ended, yes. Um in 1840 there was a period of indentureship and that brought a number of Kikongo um um Africans into Jamaica as as indentured servants. And of course that presence remained and they remain in particular groups on the um on the on the the eastern side of the island, parishes like St. Thomas and Portland, you tend to find that they settle, but mainly in, in St. Thomas.
0: Okay. Okay, thank you so much for that. And and going on that theme of where, um, you know, the Afro-Jamaicans uh, originated from, the difference between, as well, can you describe for Obia and Mayal? Because that's where, in terms of those practices, originated from.
1: Yeah, you're right. So, um, yeah, so, so to get into the center of all conversation, mm-hmm. um, Obia, Obia, um, is a sort of generic terminology that is broadly used to describe um, African spiritual practices um, that were performed on the island. and it is used up to this very day to describe you know a large body of practices that that resemble you know what in people's imagination what in people's imagination. Um, that they consider to be African um, spirituality. Um, you know, I, I take a different sort of approach with the term Obia. You know, a, a lot of scholars, you'll notice, you know, they tend to, you, to argue that Obia um, is a corruption of the Akant Obia 4. Obia 4 is used by the Akant peoples to, to describe witchcraft. You know, however, I take a different um, turn. And I, I see it more as uh, an Igbo word from the word OB, um, which is kola nut. And, you know, the kola the nut has a lot of significance in many African cultures. It's, it is often seen as the mouthpiece of almighty God because they use it in um, for divinational purposes. So, you know, it's my, you know, um, estimation, my conclusion that, that obia sort of developed on the plantation in reference to the 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 spiritual practices that africans um utilize. and i and i sort of see it as a merger of another igbo term diba diba is the igbo word for for priest so i sort of see obia and and diba being a sort of fusion that gives the the Afro-Jamaican and other Caribbean islands as well, the the terminology obia. So what you will notice is that by the time you get to the the late um, late 18th century after the the Taki rebellion in 1760, um, the, the term obia comes to the attention of the colonial official. And the colonial officials, because of the association between obia and um, slave revolts, Mm -hmm. the colonial officials then begins to enact a series of legislation to outlaw obia practices. But one of the things that you'll find is that there's another terminology that is sort of utilized um, in the Afro-Jamaican spiritual complex and that is Mayal. Mayal is largely a terminology that is sort of used to describe um, um, spirit possession. But what sort of seemingly develops within the enslaved period is that within the enslaved community, they seem to develop um, this need to distinguish um, Mayal from Obia. And the thing about it is that because Obia itself tends to more refer to what people call spiritual workings, the act of doing rituals in order to achieve a particular result, whether or not you take um, two particular type of bush and you put it together and you speak certain things, right? So Obia tends to deal with what um, in Jamaica we we call science, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to utilize Um, certain material objects to create uh, an immaterial force that in turn will have a material effect. So literally, it's the fusing of material objects. And even in today, you can even utilize the people who work Obia utilize the Bible as well, because Obia is a practice that, that sees the 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 ability to use material objects to have a spiritual effect that in turn would would influence the material world so because obia works like that it is sort of like a god it is neither good or bad it could be used for bad but it also could be used for good like we have the enslaved rebellions the obia man was central to all of the major slave revolts but likewise obia is also utilized to harm people. So one of the things that you will notice during the um, enslaved era, one of the things that you will notice is that they sort of developed uh, a distinction by the enslaved Africans to distinguish Obia from Bayal. Because Bayal now is seen as spirit possession, communicating with heavenly bodies, possessing man. Right, and so what you find is that myalno was seen as a sort of movement to eradicate bad. And Obia, because Obia has this sort of broad usage, it was also used for bad. So a lot of, in many places in the enslaved community in Jamaica, they sort of developed this idea of Obia being bad. And, and this sort of ties into the generic topic of of our discussion, um, you know, which centers on the paper, which centers around um, Guinea Jack. You know, Guinea Jack um, was arrested and charged for Obia um, and he was a spiritualist. And he was was a spiritualist that that was part of the 1823 Boxing Day conspiracy in the parish of St. George's. Paris of Saint George's is today's um, is part of today's Portland. Yeah. Um, so, so the thing about it is that when you look at the, the records for the for the trial for for Guinea Jack, um, he he objected to this idea of being called an obeah man, right? He said his spirituality is to be used for good, right? So you'll notice that within the enslaved community, they they tended to sort of. Um, be this 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 need to sort of create this distinction um away from opium now there could be another reason it could be yeah. based upon the fact that the colonial state had sought to team these practices illegal so therefore in order for for um enslaved africans who were spiritualists to argue against the the against the um the charges brought against them they will say that what we are doing is not obia but something different so so you know obia is a generic terminology whereas mayal it deals with more spirit possession but within the enslaved community there's sort of this this struggle likewise even into these um jamaica there's this struggle to sort of um where, how to define and place obia because obia can be placed along the, the, the broad spectrum of good
0: and evil. Definitely, I would definitely agree with you on there. And I know that you just mentioned about the 1823 Boxing Day revolt. And I just wanted to, if you can just go through in terms of the rituals that were used and the structure and the organization of these meetings, planning it out, um, if you can just talk to that, because I know you mentioned that in the, in the paper as well.
1: Yeah, one, one of the things, and this is why I always emphasize that when, when you're looking at um, certain periods um, in Jamaican history, you need to have a, have a clear understanding yes. of African culture and African society. Because one of the things that you will notice um, with enslaved um, people on the plantation is that they continued many of the, the patterns. Yes. And one, one of the, when you look at African states. Um, In the pre-colonial period, um, they had a both a spiritual and a a physical function. So usually part of any African state, there was always um, that were involved with the structure and the making of the state or the making of the nation. Likewise, even in their um, military um, units, like for example, when you look at the Akan Asafo groups, right? They have Akanfos, uh, right, that have particular functions to perform in order to prepare um, the fighters for battle. Likewise, you will notice that in every slave rebellion, not just in Jamaica alone, but if you look at Haiti um, with, with, the, with the Haitian Revolution, before the revolution, before um, the East slave Africans went to war, they performed a series of rituals. One of the most popularly known was the Bok Cayman um, ceremony. Likewise, um, you'll notice in, in Jamaica, um, every re- rebellion, there was always a sort of um, spiritual preparation that would take place. You know, in the African context, they refer to this as cooking the battle, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that Weakening this, the, the enemy in order for you to have a sort of victory. Yeah. And you know, I'm gonna get into that, but but the thing about it is that when you even look, even as the, the enslaved population um became creolized, and you look, for example, at the Sam Sharp Rebellion, even though he identified as a Baptist preacher, there was that that similar um spiritual preparation that was undertaken right before um the the war was launched, and even after emancipation, the last major revolt to take place the the eighteen sixty five paul Bogo rebellion, there was also a, a a sort of spiritual preparation that would take place. So in reference to the eighteen twenty three um boxing day um the Boxing Day conspiracy. Um, the, the, the rituals that Guinea Jack performed because he was enlisted because in the parish he was a known spiritualist. He, he he was not just a spiritualist that dealt medicine for war, but he dealt with a range of ailments within yes. the parish. And and for a number of years before actually being enlisted, he was actually a runaway, right? And he had actually set up a small um, encampment in the bush where he performed his spirituality. So one of the things that there were several things that were, were done, and this is why it's fascinating when you look at the records. Because one of the things that that um, is mentioned in the records is that when he was up apprehended, um, the colonial officials noted that in his possession were four wooden effigies and a mirror. And when you look at the the West Af, when you look into the West African um, space, mirrors is is a central part of of many um, divinational practice. Through the mirrors, they tend to communicate with the spirit. You know, certain groups use water, like the the Fantis and other Akan groups tend to use water. You know, um, when you get down to the to the away and the Fon region, they tend to use the the quarry shells as a way to communicate with, with um with supernatural um uh, beings. Right. But but this in this particular case, Guinea Jack was utilizing a mirror to communicate with the spirits that were represented by four wooden effigies. Now um, the Europeans oftentimes label you know African practices as um, idol worship and so forth. But the wooden effigies are not a representation or portal, so to speak, through which to communicate um, with the spirit. Yeah. Right. So, um, so Guinea Jack was found that in his, in his possession. So, one of the things that you can infer, you know, from that um, mention of, of, his, of, his, of his ritual um, par- paraphernalia, so to speak, is that divination was one of the rituals that was performed. He also bathed the, the major leaders of the rebellion with particular bush. One bush was mentioned in the records and that is sage. So usually, you know, you know, bathing of the fighters was done. And usually there was this idea that there were certain medicine that could protect the fighters from being injured by bullets or so forth. And you know, the last ritual he was not able to perform, but the last ritual that he was supposed to do entailed um um obtaining pieces of locks of hair from the leading white men in the parish, and he was going to place it in a coffin and then place that coffin in the crossroad. And when you when you when you look in African um spirituality. The the crossroads is a central place um, to perform spiritual work.
0: Definitely. And and of course, um, if you can just go into the in terms of the planning of the revolt, because the structure of everything, they use the guise of religious meetings to in order to, to do this. How important, you know, is that in terms of their structure?
1: Another thing what was utilized is that the divination was utilized to know when to meet. Yes. So usually at night, they met in the cow pasture. And um, there were times when it was not safe for them to meet. And Guinea Jack was able to tell them through, through that divination. And you know, the irony of it is that today in Jamaica, there is a major trial that is taking place for a gang called the, um, I believe it is the, the One Order, the One Order Gang in Spanish Town. And and um, on trial is, is, the, is one of the leaders um, called Black Man. And one of the things that is being discussed at the trial is this, is the usage of a, of a young man who identifies himself as, as an obia man, who's identified as an obia man or a spiritualist. And it is it is being reported Um, in the trial that um, he he alerted the gang when the police would be present and when they would not be present. So the thing is that this is 2022, right? And you see the continuation of this sort of uh, practice of, of engaging with spirits in order to know when the authorities would be around and when they would not be around. So Guinea Jack, um, during that, that rebellion was utilizing um, divination, right, in order to, to um, help the group to, to know when to plan and when not to plan. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. And then uh, with the Bogle revolt, um, the rituals, again, there too that was used uh, that you mentioned, uh, there was an OBS specialist as well.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Author, author Wellington, right? Yeah. And I think, I think there were two others that were also executed um, during that, that, that revolt. And, you know, the interesting thing is that um, when, you, when you get a chance and you read through um, the, the records that surrounds that, that revolt, um, one of the things that you will notice is that there was a ritual. Yes. And, and this is one of the things I mean by that there's a sort of African You know, continuum that exists in Jamaica that extends across time and space. Mm -hmm. Rebellion. um, One of the things that is performed in every rebellion, whether it were the whether it was the 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 rebellions that occurred during the enslaved era, or it was the Paul Bogle um, rebellion. One of the things is taking the oath, right and when you think about African societies, the Ashantis, the Encheras, the, the, um, the Oyo and so forth, one of the things you notice is that oath, taking an oath is very critical. And usually it's not just words and swearing, but you also eat the oath, right? So within Jamaica, one of the things that is utilized in the oath-taking ritual um, in both the Paul Bogle Rebellion and the Rebellion's the slave, slave period was the um, drinking of, of rum mixed with corn powder. Yeah. And so you will see that that was one of the clear um, identifying features to sort of say that, yes, you know, Paul Bogle's Rebellion, so identified as a deacon in the, in the Baptist tradition, uh, in the Native Baptist tradition, um, there are elements in the Morant Bay Re- Rebellion that clearly has an African cultural root, and, and you know, and there are many avenues to which this could take place, because by the time you get to the um, Paul Bogo Rebellion, there was a large number of recent um, Kikongo peoples that had, had settled. In the Saint Thomas area, and in the in the record, it is noted that you know um, when he was in the company of the, these indentured um, Kikongo, Kikongo Africans, that that Paul Bogle would, would would speak a different language. So the question begs is if is if Paul Bogle had learned um, Kikongo from these um, indentured um, Kikongo um servants that had came to Jamaica. And the question is that, that I saw to raise is that if he learned the language, then he all they also must have been a, a process of transference of ritual ideas um, to, from the Kikongos to um, Paul Bogle.
0: Definitely definitely and in your paper you mentioned again with the with Opia and mayal not being stamped out even with the dissenter religions sending their uh, missionaries such as the baptists moravians yeah. and the methodists um, and again you talked it you've already talked about it was being seen as something bad um, yeah. even to current day it's still being used so yeah. Would you say that, you know, this type of message in terms of anything from the African continent is seen as bad and, and backward when in reality, this is, you know, part of our heritage and something that cannot be stamped out uh, through religion?
1: Yeah, you know, cult- culture is a very hard thing to displace. You know, you'll find that even amongst um, Afro Jamaican families that tend to be, that tend to see themselves as more creolized and more you know westernized, um they they still you still notice you know that there is still some sort of um African retention that takes place. You know, you know, for example, you know, uh, here are the dogs. Yeah, hear the dogs that's okay. yeah. And so for example, the nai, nai you know, which is you know a, a burial um custom, so to speak, um, is practiced across the, the wide economic spectrum um, in, in the Jamaican space. So one of the things you will find is that culture is very hard to displace. So even when people um, are, and if you look at the enslavement period, when people are Christianized, there are just certain cultural ways that African people worship that is fundamentally different than how Europeans tend to worship. One of the things about African spirituality, there is this concept of feeling the spirit. Yes. And they want to feel the spirit because one of the things that you will find that is a very central component of, of um, spiritual traditions in the West and Central African space is, possession the ability of man and God to occupy the, the, the same physical space and so so because of that idea is very very much centered and very much present in in western central african um in the in the western central african homeland that the bulk of afro-jamaican people come from yeah. you'll find that even during the conversion process there was this emphasis placed on spirit, on feeling the spirit. And for many of the missionaries, the dogs, the dogs are too loud?
0: No, no, they're fine. They're fine.
1: Okay. Even during the, the for many of the missionaries, one of their critiques was that the, the, the um, enslaved population was, was reading the Bible wrong because many of the enslaved people wanted to activate the spiritual the spiritual identities of 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 old testament saints so they began this sort of process of 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 interpreting um, the bible the biblical text through a distinctively West and Central African spiritual lens so you tend to find that that because you find that that African peoples tend to worship differently, that within um, churches that developed during that enslavement era, you tend to find that that there was a different sort of relationship to spirituality that is very much African and not necessarily European. And it is something that the, the missionaries could not Displaced is something that they wrote about is something that vexed them. However, it was not something that they could displace right. So they may have been able to to um, tell the Africans to see Shango, to see Obatala, to see Adadi Kofi and various African deities as evil. But however, the 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 um, theoretical idea of how Africans view spirit and spirituality, um, the Europeans could not displace that and how Africans relate to spirit. And this idea that spirit has to give some sort of revelation in yeah. order for it to be real. You see, this is one of the things, like when you look at traditional African spirituality, one of the things that is, is is used to measure the effectiveness of the of the deity it's his ability to answer um, material problems in the here and now and likewise when you look at that at the the burden you can put it that way the burden mm-hmm. that um you know after you're not just it's not just um afro-jamaicas alone but yes. other black groups in the diaspora when you look at the burden that many of them place on the spirit, on the Holy Spirit and various um, um, Christian entities is a similar um, concept to the same burden that they would place on the African deities. So you, you sort of see the the transference of, of a uniquely and distinctive um, African um, cultural understanding of spirituality that survived the transition from being, being, um, what you can say, you now, being, being strictly adhering to African um, religious practices, and the, tran- the, the transition to um, becoming Christian.
0: Definitely, because I, I, I know that in your paper, you mentioned how some Afro Jamaicans do use both in terms of uh, both christianity and their their cultural heritage as well yes so um the other thing i wanted to to ask about because you mentioned as well in the paper in terms of the religious practices throughout the caribbean so such as and it it being clumped together such as santeria vodiam how different were these and they're not the same as obia Obia or maya
1: the thing about it is that when you look at Santeria, when you look at um, Voodoo, um, Santeria from Cuba, Voodoo from Haiti, um, when you look at Condomble from Brazil, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those societies are Catholic. And one of the things is that the um, enslavement in Catholic countries were different. Um, the, the enslaved, the, the, unlike the British, you'll find that in the Portuguese, Brazil, the French, Haiti, and the Spanish Cuba, um, they allowed the Africans to hold their feasts and festivals, right? They allow them to participate in the Catholic feast and festival. So what, what, and the fact that also because the Catholic church, um, they have a a hierarchy that is very much similar to the African pantheon where you have a central um, deity and then you have a host of saints. So within those traditions, within those Catholic traditions, there was greater room for the Africans to amalgamate. Or, or associate their religious practices with, with um, Catholicism. And through that process, they were able to, to maintain um, many of the deities. When you look at the British and you look at the island of Jamaica, for example, you know, even though one of the things I argue, one of the things that I, I sort of notice is that there were there were deities that were were um being sort of worshiped within obia because they always developed they always one of the things that was was discovered whenever they they um would 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 arrest an Obia worker they were also find in his position in his possession what they call um what was being called by by the time you get to the Paul Bogle rebellion what was being called you know obia pickney, which were these um wooden if effigies, so the the existence of these wooden effigies suggests that um, late into the um, Paul Bogle um, period that um, there continued to be the existence of African deities that were being honored um, by the Afro-Jamaican population. Now, there might be several, um, there might be variation based upon location, now, of course, because you know, St. Thomas, where the Paul Bogo rebellion took place, you know, had received a huge amount of, of um indentured servants after 1838 from Central Africa that might explain why they had these effigies. Because when you look at um Kikongo spirituality, the Nkisi, Right. It's largely a, 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 an effigy, you know, whether made out of wood or, or iron, that represents a spiritual power. So in the records, when you when you discover or you meet um, the term will um, the picnic. It, it's more than likely maybe in reference right, to um, the Kikongo Ukisi, so to speak.
0: Okay, thank you, <laughs> that's... Yeah, because, yeah.
1: Because, because, because one of the things is that when you get into the West African space, you know, di- various groups represent um, their divinities differently. Yes. Some groups represent them through wooden effigies, others um, utilize medicine, herbs, yes. right, and other material products, and they, they combine it and put it together and sort of create a receptacle to attract spiritual energy. Definitely. Okay, so, so so for example, amongst the, the Akan in Ghana, you know, many of the deities are sort of represented like that in terms of medicine. Um, when you when you but other groups though, they they tend to utilize um, wooden effigies and so forth to sort of represent um um the the, the particular spirit.
0: Definitely. And I, I know that we, you know, we've discussed a lot of the major points within the, the paper, but um, I just wanted to go back in terms of with Obia and the people that had practiced it, um, that organization within these revolts played a major factor. And it wasn't just seen as how it's being played out as it was rather disorganized, but rather integral with, with, uh, with their organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you'll notice um, in the in the enslaved period, mm-hmm. you know, um, many of the revolts were structured um, to overthrow the the plantation system and the entire state. Yes. So many of them were organized with a government in waiting. So, for example, when you look at the Taki Revolt in 1760, that revolt was organized with an entire Um, Governance structure that aligns very closely with the with the kingship system in today's Ghana, um, West Africa. And Taki, which is pronounced by by, um, the Akan people as Teche, Teche, um, he organized it in that way where each parish would have a sort of chief. Yes. Right. And so so it was very structured. It was structured in a sense of having a government in waiting that would replace if they were successful um, the European state that they were tend- that, they, that they were looking to actually displace
0: Yes, yeah, thank you and in addition to that, in terms of with even in today's, as you mentioned earlier in the discussion that obia, you know is still being practiced even though yeah. there are laws on the books outlawing yeah. it. Um, and 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 I think it goes to what you had mentioned before, and that it is integral. It's part of, you know, afro jamaicans heritage, so to speak. So, yes. And right now, currently, I guess you know you mentioned in the paper as well that some of the Maroon communities, it's still being practiced or still part of their traditions.
1: Yeah, the, the Maroons wouldn't necessarily refer to what they do as obeah. They have something called, um, you know, um, to play. Yes. Um, which is similar to like what in in amongst the Akan they call the Akom, which is more like a dance and spiritual possession, which is sort of similar to, to Mayal. Um, yeah, but over is still in existence. I mean, it takes on a different form. Um, it tends to, again, it centers around using material objects right, to create a, a sort of um, spirituality that would have a, a material, produce a material result. So you tend to find that um, there are these, these sort of pharmacies in Jamaica. If you go to downtown in Kingston, you go to Spanish town, you'll notice that there are these types of pharmacies. And you would see where they have a list of chemicals, a list of different portions. And it's, it's like, for example, someone would go to an Obia man out here Yes, And they would give them a list of things that they need to, to get. So they will go with their paper. And when you observe these pharmacies, they will, and you go into these pharmacies and you observe, they don't call out the items that they want, you know. They will hand the paper to the um, person behind the counter. And yes. then they will go and pick out the items. And then the person would carry back the various items to the OBAM man, Or they would already have the instructions as, to how they should put it together, right? So that's one way. You find some OBIA workers don't necessarily utilize chemicals, they more utilize herbs and medicine and they utilize um, Bible verses, right? Particular Bible verses they utilize and would read in conjunction with certain herbs in order to to work for clients. So you tend to find that there is a, a mixture in terms as to how um, it, it, it works today, right? So, there, so Obia still survives in terms of name, but I would sort of argue that it's, it's different than the Obia that sort of existed during the enslaved period, because in that period, um, you know, there was this closer relationship, so to speak, mm-hmm. with African um, spirituality. So what exists today is a continual usage and idea of spirituality, right? However, they tend to be more tapped into um, using um, spirits from the Bible, um, spirits from European texts, and trying to to conjure these entities to create a particular um, effect on the material world.
0: Definitely. And, and as we kind of close out this discussion, um, what would you say or what would you, um, you know, provide to the listeners in terms of making that connection from history to present day as to what would be, you know, you would provide to somebody else to say, we need to look at things a little bit more open and not so narrowly focused.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that if you have the chance, visit, visit West Africa.
0: Right. And
1: spend time amongst um, spiritualists where the the spiritual practices are still maintained. And, um, you know, if you're from a Caribbean background, places like Jamaica, Haiti, Antigua and so forth, one of the things you'll notice is that there are many similarities in how things are done, not even just from a spiritualist point of view, but even just from an everyday cultural Point of view. So one of the things I I, I always um, advocate for is for people, if they have the the opportunity to visit and spend time in West Africa, because that is the foundation of the cultural identity for for um, African peoples, not just in Jamaica, but throughout the, the 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 Western African diaspora. So so spending time in the African um, on the African culture, on the African continent, um, is very is very critical at understanding yes. spirituality from that point of view. Because one of the things you'll notice is that herbs, 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 knowing medicine, knowing particular bush, is very central to the spirituality. And one of the things you'll also notice is that the the idea of God plays a central role. So it's not just this idea of going out there and working with, with, with these spirits that are just out there in the universe, yes. but it's the idea of being godly, the idea of being good, you know, being an upright person, because ultimately when you think about African spirituality, it, it answers the, the same sort of questions that any other major religion seeks to answer, which is to, to provide um, people with a way to live a godly life and to be upright. And of course, like in any culture and in any society, there are people that have other intentions to work spirit, to do things that are bad. And that is pure, and that's not something that is peculiar to the African spiritual worldview. Mm-hmm. It is something that pervades any um, religious and cultural system.
0: Definitely. And thank yeah. you so much, Kofi, for coming on. I really do appreciate your time and to discuss your paper and uh, greatly appreciate. So thank you so much.
1: It's not a problem.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.